Motherhood is an identity that transforms with every passing year. Raising children also means raising mothers, and we all seem destined to have distinctly unique journeys based on our context. On our show today, we have a mom who's raised a man of 22 while staying true to her creative and adventurous spirit as she weaves stories and narratives that flow from a wealth of lived experiences as a documentary filmmaker, author, and fellow podcast casting mum Samina and I chat about how one develops a sense of belonging for ourselves and our children our chosen families and the realities of diversity and how she has touched upon all of these through her work So today we have Samina Mishra who is an educator a filmmaker and a children's book author and that's how we were first introduced our first meeting was rather serendipitous uh, we met in an airport in goa i i think for me and my kids jumlo walks was like such a special book and i remember taking a breath after finishing the last page and looking at my son and going like let me see how he's going to react and has he taken that in it was one of those experiences that really made us pause and be like that's so amazing that someone could get that in a book and it it ended up being really really special because it made us think about the larger scheme of things while we were in our little covid bubble and everything was fine that was the one moment where it opened up the world to my children also and even though it was slightly uncomfortable it was a conversation that needed to be had if you can tell us about your journey as a mother and how all your life experience has brought so much richness to your narrative and how that changes your perspective as a writer as a filmmaker thank you first of all for having me and thank you for reading my work and engaging with it jamlo uh, that year of covid and writing that it encapsulates i think the kind of work that i want to do that i hope to do and that i think i'm quite fortunate that i managed to do which is to be able to uh, open up the world for myself and for children you know i think that's uh, that was the intention with jamlo was that that you know now that uh, since we are all receding into our homes how do children remain in touch with children's lives are uh, more and more segregated no the kinds of overlaps um, of sp- in spaces where children from different backgrounds could overlap are shrinking have shrunk a lot you know even when my son who is now 22 even when he was growing up that was something i was so aware of that that shrinking of spaces where children of different kinds of backgrounds could be together our schools are so determined from by our class backgrounds and the kinds of fees that we are able to pay and so there's a kind of sameness um in very important ways not in all ways but 
in important ways uh, to the kinds of children that, you know, kids grow up with now. And uh, that is something that sort of uh, bothers me. It bothers me also about, I mean, you know, in the end, we all look for our people, no? And uh, how do we find our people is, you know, because of the shared sort of experiences, shared aspirations, shared loves and desires and all that. So, of course, there's a bit of a sameness. But yet, I think that when I was growing up, my school space, it was much more heterogeneous, no? I mean, uh, it was a private school, but even so, there was a diversity of backgrounds, you know? And I think that everyday lived experience is really the way that we can make sense of the world. So if our everyday lived experience is kind of limited, then our vision of the world is bound to be limited, and that's the thing that I hope that my work can make place for, that, you know, the richness of everyday lived experience when there is a possibility of it overlapping with, you know, different kinds of lives. So, will you tell us a little bit more about your... Being a mother. <laughs> yes. Uh, not only that, maybe start with, with your mother. We've talked a lot about our yeah. mothers. Those are very important people in our lives. They keep coming up yeah. for the mistakes that they've made, the <laughs> good that they've done and how, you know, I, I think in one of our episodes, uh, Bakul mentions there was that was a generation of benign neglect. You Which know? is actually, actually not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, then know. children grew up in those mixed spaces yes. with other people and other influences. Yeah that were sort of uh, as acknowledged it's like <laughs> or and now we have you know these woke moms who are all about reading up on everything and knowing everything and knowing the language and the labels that are all there starting with your mother who didn't really have to deal with those you've been brought up a Muslim but have a Hindu surname so, so um, yeah, so my parents had a kind of uh, interreligious marriage, but I was brought up as a, as a Muslim. That was a choice that they made. You know, my father was in tea, so I was born in Assam on a tea garden, and I spent my early years there. But at the time, so I was born in 1969, and the school system... It was not very good. There were not many very good schools there. So all the tea planters' children either went off to boarding schools or, um, you know, if some, like my sister and I, we had family in cities and then we were sort of shipped off there. So I was quite young when I came to school in Delhi. I was uh, not quite five, you know. And, uh, and your parents were still in so, Assam? Yeah, so my mom actually spent like her entire, I think that first uh, decade of my life, I think poor thing she spent like either she was here with us and then feeling like she should have been there or she was there and feeling like she should have been here. We were lucky that we were at my um, grandparents, my nana nani's, like uh, periodically, let us say, periodically joint family. So in that sense, my great-grandmother was alive and my uh, mother's siblings, uh, you know, periodically some of them would be there and or there with their kids or they would go away. My mamu who was uh, studying still, uh, you know, uh, he would be there and his friends would come in. So it was like a large household kind of like 
with a rotating population in that sense, you know. Um, but, and, and what my parents did was that I had a very special woman taking care of me, my Aya, who was from Shillong. She moved with uh, us. Wonderful. Yeah, so she would, she was here. So my grandmom would be a kind of like in a supervisory mm-hmm. role, but Aya was the one who did everything and my mother says that you know like she really brought me up in that way um, but I, so I was lucky I had lots of uh, adults you know aunts and uncles my parents coming and going my grandparents and I yeah, in my early formative years kind of like there were always cousins and all that in that in the house so it was sort of like that kind of you know that joint family system sort of like we grew up in that kind of way and it was a large house with a lot of like space to play outdoors. So a lot of unsupervised time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, afternoon spent just outside doing all kinds of things. So it had this what were called servants quarters in those days, mm-hmm. you know, but there was so a, you had made a film on in 2005 called The House, house of Good Avenue. So this is the house. On Akbar Road. Okay, this is the Akbar so, Road. Yeah, uh-huh. where I grew up. Okay. So, uh, you know, it was that uh, uh, colonial kind mm-hmm. of house. Yes. And so, one end of it had these what were called staff quarters. Mm-hmm. And uh, not by the time like we were living in it, nobody had that many like servants. But so, many of those things were, I think people had been living there and those were just like given out uh, to them in mm-hmm. any case. But some of those people, because they were living there, would come and do some work in the house. And it was right. a bit all like that. So, they, they also had children. So there would be like in the afternoons quite an army of kids playing in those, you know, big lawns and there was this like jhari all along the perimeter, you know, and we would pretend like we are in the Amazon jungle and, you know, be this army of kids just uh, wandering around. There was one central matriarch who would get to. So, and, and you know, there was this. The, no, and the, my great grandmother who was alive in all of the. She was alive till I joined Jamia, actually. Oh. So, she, you know, she would sleep in the afternoons and we had this like big swing in the garden and we would all climb onto it in the afternoon and we would swing and it was an old swing and it would squeak <laughs> like so loudly that she would come out onto her veranda and she would shout from there and saying, Stop it. So, it was always like that kind of thing where you thought okay this is like you know the children's world and this is the grown-ups world and sometimes they intersected and sometimes they didn't so I grew up like that my mother's presence even though she was uh, not there for my dad so there were you know like periodically they tried my father would try to get like work where he could have us so I think for about a couple of years, uh, we were together in different cities. But for m- most of the time, you know, it was like this. So even though, you know, my parents were not like here all the time with me, they were very like, like big presence yes. despite that. Even now, I remember that um, I was, I think they were in Calcutta by the time I was in class nine. But by then, my mom uh, decided that, you know, it's not worth shifting us because my sister was going to do her board exam and then I was going to do it and all. So we maintained that whole continuity. But we used to go for holidays. And I remember even then, like, getting onto the Rajdhani to come home and my sister and I cry. (laughs) (laughs) My parents are on the outside, like, waving. So uh, despite that... you had the boarding school experience. 
students yeah, without, yeah, being, without in being in boarding school. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, and this is like, we were so lucky that it was my grandparents yeah, yeah. and, you know, like, uh, we had a lot of attention and all that. Despite that, like crying and saying, oh, we live away from our parents. So that sense of like uh, their presence, you know, it was important. And part of it, I think, was this whole, like, I grew up with this, the story of how my parents met and, you know, this romance and, like, from both sides of the family, we, we got this. And it was a really big thing, I think. And also because my name is Samina Mishra, I would always be asked, you know, what, like, what is that? Who is the Mishra? What is this? What is the story? And all that. So, because I was always asked this, I think that part was really like big in my head. How and wonderful for you to grow up with the narrative of love being, you yeah. know, like the center of it, you know. Yeah, no, that's true. That uh, you know, my, for my father's family, because my father um, made the choice of sort of bringing us up as Muslim and all that, so it was a little like hard, I think, harder. Um, but uh, my father's family were like very open, and I, I remember even I, I must have been like four or five. As soon as I came away, my father's eldest brother used to live in Delhi. And he was so particular about, you know, sending the car for us so that every month or every few weeks we would go and visit him. So that we were like, you know, the in touch was... and the connection was there and Diwali and Holi, you know, always would be spent uh, with them. So I was really lucky in many ways that, uh, you know, I grew up like that, knowing that I was Muslim, but I still had that, you know, exposure to that there are many ways of being uh, family. So that was sort of like, yeah, my parents. And then the, my son, uh, my son says, you know, I was like, he says, uh, I was a best mother till he was like maybe 10. And then in the teenage years, he says that I was not so good. Partly also, I think so my husband and I, we separated when he was a teenager. So there are all those challenges that come despite, you know, you're trying to sort of do the best that you can with all of that. But I think it's also the teenage years are, I mean, they have to be a little bit full of conflict. So my mom says that I was a very good teenager and my sister gave her all the trouble. But then I made up for it later in my 20s. So I guess, you know, there has there have to be some periods of conflict, I think, uh, between generations at some point. Um, that's natural. And in fact, perhaps it's unnatural if we don't have that because who's pushing the boundaries then? So when Imran was born, my, my dad had made this decision that we would be brought up as Muslims. But when Kunal and I decided to get married, neither of us is a kind of like believer in uh, organized religion. So, um, it's you more know, faith and just like a personal thing. Yeah, I, I like I, I, I'm not I think I believe in God mm. um, in some I can't rationalize yeah, that yeah. belief. I completely but, relate because, <laughs> yeah, my husband keeps saying that, you know, there's no such thing and it's just like the work you do and the kind of person you are and yeah, Imran him, is like that my know, son is like that now he yeah. says he's an atheist yeah <laughs> and you know it's always that it's your work and who you are and how you live that makes the person that you are and things like that and I'm like you know maybe I need the comfort of having a little bit like maybe the, I just need the comfort of some faith it, it can be called whatever because I was brought up as a Muslim, it means that I, I, I've read the Quran mm. and we used to have our Malvi Sahib come and all that. So I know the prayers. Mm. 
Um, I was taught also how to say the yeah. namaz, but of course I gave it up as soon as I could choose for myself. I gave it up, but you know that things that you learn in childhood. You know there is this wonderful. Uh, there's a, a phrase by a Chinese uh, philosopher. I'm forgetting his name. What is patriotism except for the love of the food that you ate as a child, right? Yeah. So those things that you experience as children, it becomes so internalized. So I have this like internalized way of like you know like talking to because I was taught to pray and all that. So I think it's just a like a I, it's not rational. It yeah. just continues, you know, in a kind of felt way. I I can completely relate. I remember, you know, my parents would go to church every Sunday, and it was this thing that we did. And then I realized that the love for singing and music and all came so much from from, there. from church, yeah. and it was those choirs. And I remember somebody I was in college, and someone saying that, "Oh, you guys are just so lucky because you have church, and then you're in choirs, and you don't have to ever try or learn how to do this." <laughs> and then I realized, yeah, you know, it's it's just something we've grown up with. And no one taught us how to sing or how to sing in a group or do it that, and it was so easy. And and the kind of memory that you have, you know, you you can sing the whole songbook by the time you're Absolutely. like six and seven and yeah. things like that. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Now it's all about classes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing there's that a happens. very structured yeah. kind of. Nothing happens organically. How did you bring in that for your son? Like. So uh yeah so it was really so because we 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 had made this choice that you know that we are not going to like bring him up as this or that we just wanted him to have the exposure to everything which meant like both sides of the family but also other kinds of things you know so like i have a very good friend who's uh, bengali so i would take him round there for like durga puja or something you know for me it was that i want to be able to kind of open up as much of the world as possible for him so he did have some things which were kind of uh, structured because he wanted those things you know in those years i was living in noida and there was a bunch of his friends and their parents who were you know like part of my everyday life so they were muslims and hindus and also christian so it was kind of possible you know because there were many things that we could do so i remember so one of imran's friends and uh, my friend her mom she's christian so the child was sort of mix of mixed parentage but because of manila uh, and my, my neighbor upstairs uh, was an old lady a friend uh, friend's mother uh, and she's christian so um, you know we i would say like you know where are the carols happening and can we take the kids there so i remember once manila imran and i with auntie uh, and auntie's sister we drove all the way to uh, sacred heart cathedral mm. for uh, 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 you know uh, just before christmas for a carol singing thing but that one was a very like like classical kind oh, of version so these two little kids were like listening 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 and kind of falling asleep <laughs> but i thought it was good that you know they got a chance to do that and then auntie would tell me oh in my church there is you know thing going to happen so then we would go off there and then uh, you know um, another friend uh, who used to live in that same area um, they are muslim but uh, you know uh, in the sense that they're like 
my family is a little bit more mixed and all that so they very like you know had the more conventional kind of thing so you know like often there would be these things for eid which were you know different from our us but we would always go there also and eid always in my parents house so it was a thing that you know we would go and imran has gone for eid ki namaz and all that he doesn't know how to but he would just go there to the mosque and just be there and this idea of uh, food being part of like all of this it's so like important you know so that uh, you know having the kebab and the siwai on yeah. eid uh, taking him to my friend shikha's house for uh, you know uh, the bhog wala khichdi mm-hmm. during Pur- durga puja you know that that kind of thing was like little bit important to me and also then like the poetry and the stories that come from all of these different spaces you know i mean i tried very hard to be able to get him you know and he he was a reader so that was easy like you know one could bring in like books and you know read those together and um, i think that was really important uh, language so i know that for me that also that language opens up literature in a way and you know kids um, now i mean i don't know how what it's like now but definitely when imran was growing up once they made that switch so when he grew up i like when he before school i would speak to him only in hindi at home so his hindi was very good then he went to school and that switch happened and yeah. <laughs> like everything became english and then you know we also speak english at home yeah. so like like i say english is my first language i dream also in english so it's hard you know um for the child also so and then all much of the reading sort of happened in uh, english so i would try and while he was still in junior school it was easier but once you move into senior school you know th- other things start happening and then hindi becomes this subject and that they are like finding it difficult and all that and you know it's all this drama we went through and then uh, i think for the last year that he did hindi he had like somebody coming in to do little extra classes because he was struggling with the grammar and all that so she was a lovely lovely teacher who had taught in his school and then she had retired and all that i asked yukti that you know will you just come and because you know by then it was like he didn't want to keep doing things with his mom yeah. you know he was like 13 14 and all that and so i recognized that so for about a year she would oh, come once a week and they would just read like you know the, sometimes it was premchand sometimes you know i would find something sometimes she would bring something it was just stories and you know it was just a, an hour of like just reading and talking to her without me being around mm. so also this idea that you know it's not just the mother's role i think to uh, do this for the child that there are like really it takes a village <laughs> yeah no that that's again something that we've spoken about at great length and the the whole idea behind the podcast also was that that you know create a community of mothers because we all have that same experience we've all thought the same things but have you actually gone up to someone and asked them and more often than not this has come up so many times that everyone say yes they they agree but it's not it's because they haven't been asked or you know no one's going to you know push you and say that can i do this for your child but Absolutely. if you're asked and i think mothers are so generous with their time wherever possible if they can they will because they know what it feels like to have that little arm stretched out and you know yeah. saying that i can do this for you and i can take this on and i think for our children right now there's also a 
you know coming from say english speaking households and things like that there's also a sense of feeling like you're the other in a lot of situations especially in the classroom situation there is this constant othering that happens and now it's obviously because of the times that we live in also how as a mother who's raised a child now he's a man you know how did you deal with that thing of inculcating that sense of belonging to it doesn't have to be a particular culture or religion it's just that sense of okay this is this is who you are and you have to be comfortable with that were there any struggles yeah so you know the the idea of othering i think that has in a some senses existed forever uh in imran's generation uh growing up and even before like I, my mother talks of how um she remembers uh, a child and this is in the 50s she remembers a boy you know teasing her in school bullying her really uh by calling her mulli 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 mm. okay so we are talking of the 50s uh when i made the house on gulmohar avenue i was shooting in i think 2004 and uh, my uh, nephew's uh, classmate i i sort of remember talking to him and uh, this would have been in the 90s then uh, the, so i was he must have been born in early 90s yeah. right? because my nephew was born in 93 so it's about the same age and he told me that you know how he was bullied in school mm. um for being sort of muslim and i forget the exact details of the incident but there was something on the basketball court or something um it was obviously maybe it was not as frequent because my nephew hadn't experienced it but this boy had my son too in he went to school he must have started school when imran is 2001 born uh, i think he was in class two or three mm. uh when he uh, came home and told me that somebody told him that uh, and his he's got a really long and mixed up name <laughs> right but his first name is imran so he this other child told him that oh uh, why don't you go back to pakistan mm. which is the thing we hear so often and i remember uh, and imran i so i said what did you say so he said i told him that why don't you come to my house and see we are not terrorists <laughs> <laughs> we are not seven year old yeah he must have been seven yeah so uh, and and then i remember and i remember think i went to the school because i thought that you know okay imran has us and we are dealing with it and we will deal with it but i thought like what about that other child you know uh for him to like what is he going through that he says such a thing so you know i went to the school and i said you know you maybe you need to do something and you need to talk about this and you know how do you make it like like this are these are like the the shared space that we were talking about earlier you know how does the school create that so that this kind of thing seems uh you know not possible <laughs> these are things that i think continue and now of course we have documentation of how bad it is um you know there's that book on sort of growing up as muslim child here now no so uh, how does one deal with that i feel you know in my recent work has kind of just uh, underlined for me something which was a kind of my instinctive uh, sort of understanding which is that idea of making it possible for the everyday 
to include as much difference as possible so that we are able to see that along with the difference, there are so many things that are common. In my recent work, you know, uh, so it, that Hamindustani yes, project, the which podcast. you know, the, po- yes. the podcast is one part of it. And the in the project, you know, I started by doing sort of these workshops across three spaces and in one space with children, with a sort of small group of kids doing art and writing. And uh, in this one space, this Dalit girl, she drew so we were talking about equality and i said draw think the last of, episode was on yeah, yeah yeah is also so she uh, drew this uh, as an as an example of inequality she drew this image of a school and some chil- girls in hijab and some boys with placards saying no entry kind of thing because all that was going on but i was struck by this that i said how come like you know you have not experienced this uh, have you seen this with someone what what has made you and then she spoke about how you know she's grown up with this muslim family and it's a working class area where people in bombay from many other uh, sort of uh, where urban development projects have you know displaced people and they have been settled here over a period of time so um it's very like it's poor poor infrastructure working class and so she said to me that you know i have grown up and living in that space with someone like that means like you know it's a cramped space you no know? so you're like really are living with each other and she said you know we are in each other's houses all the time and i mean you know we do everything together and all that and i've seen what it means for them these things that are going on and she spoke of the you know the people were causing that whole controversy of the azan mm-hmm. and the azan shouldn't be allowed and all that on loudspeakers and she said but how can we say that to them and how can we say this to them that if you know if their religion asks them to wear this scarf and if they want to wear this scarf how can we say this to them and i thought that also is happening at the same time as that other thing and it is that everyday life which is allowing her this possibility to see that no that she is able to see that other person not as than other but also as something that she would apply the same rules for herself to that person so i think that for me it was always like with imran also in those years it was this desire to just make it all possible that he can see as much of the difference and i think to also keep talking to him right. there was a lot of like conversation but i i think i started that really early i used to talk to him when he was a little baby my sister used to say now he's going to talk back to you and he does <laughs> <laughs> he does <laughs> yeah but that that's what they have to grow up in that space where it's also okay to talk about these things and it's also okay for children to have a perspective and it's not that you know you're just going to be told and it's going to be a whole lot of sermonizing and what your parents or grandparents or other people have to say but it's also that space to figure it out for yourself exactly and and i think it influences the choices they go on to make later so you know like with imran i see that now for so you know in the middle in those teenage years they're all like listening to all this kind of music and they're only talking in english and all that kind of thing but uh, so he went away for his high school and uh, in that so there too he was really lucky he got an exposure to many different kinds of kids you know from different parts of the world they were all together and now he's in college and i can see like the choices through those years when he has been away from home uh how he's 
sort of he's picking like he picked something from premchand to do some school project he even uh, though he was not studying hindi um, he's trying to like try to teach himself how to read and write uh, urdu and gurmukhi because you know they come out of his uh, heritage and how much he's listening to like the, because we are on spotify together so i see <laughs> he shares his playlists and things so i see like how much of the music is you know coming from like you know even some a hindi film music which i may not have played with him but i see that you know that particular song is on his playlist so i think it determines like things that they just have an exposure to in their childhood it determines choices later that they'll make you know and they it's easier for them to navigate kind of even the dodgy waters that you know they may be faced with outside i think one's indianness also is reaffirmed when you go abroad and you study abroad then you realize that with all its flaws there is value to the identity and the diversity that comes along with being indian i think that's like an intrinsic part of uh, who we are in our everyday lives because every other gali will have a different dialect and i remember as a child going to kuchin and there was this uh, sardar who was sitting at a table and he was speaking fluent malayalam and i remember being shocked and then my mom just said he's probably just born and brought up here just like you were you know brought up in delhi and it's if you speak good hindi it's obvious that he will speak good malayalam and i was like oh yeah you know and then i thought about it and it becomes more pronounced when our children go abroad then they realize that there is so much to who they are but you know so so i think like it's also about like so much of uh, and our conversation so much because of the times that we live in is about you know identity in in the context of community but you know identity is about so many things right like the kinds of people that we are and knowing yourself for all of those things that you are so for me it was also like uh, important that imran sees different um ways of being that you know and a person and uh, i'm really fortunate that you know uh, my like my closest friends many are strong women, women. Yeah. and um uh, some of them are single women so imran has like and they are like very very like he you know he has seen that uh, from his very first day and that the kinds of relationships that i have with them that you know you can also choose family yes. that you can uh, choose to be like you can be a way that you want to be because uh, which may run contrary to you know expectations conventional expectations but it is possible to do that and it is possible to be that you know and i think that that is the thing that we have to also when we talk about exposing our kids to difference and different kinds of things it is that that also the different ways in the end it is about being able to be all of those things that is you right but you have to discover that and you have to be able to see that it's possible to discover that but if you pay attention and you don't just keep making choices that are expected of you i was at one of our school meetings and someone said you know conscious parenting and there was this whole discussion about you know what it is to be that parent who is clued into everything and and at the end of the day all it 
finally after like this very heated discussion all it comes down to really is just to be a good enough version of yourself and then your children will see that and they will realize that that's all i need to be like whichever version i pick let me be the best of that and i think if we are okay with being mirrors for them to see that okay if i am strong or if i am messed up and if i am there is acceptance acknowledgement of who we are it doesn't it, it's not identity in terms of culture or heritage or any it's just who we are intrinsically as people and if they see you know a well adjusted person who's comfortable in their skin who does sometimes feel, maybe not or not, or not. <laughs> so yeah that happens too i mean i think that uh, you know when um, uh, i separated from my husband i mean those years were hard for him and uh, you know to be able to see that you know your parents can make mistakes yes. your parents yeah. can screw up and sometimes they they yeah. are uh, like they're struggling themselves yeah. and you will be the same person uh, yeah, in the house you know true and 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 that uh, i think it's okay also then for parents to say look i messed up and you know i'm sorry i shouldn't have done that but you know this is what was going on in my context yeah. um of course my son would say to me but you know your context is not so important to me as a child yeah. <laughs> and you know that that is the primary thing but then those are like that we can disagree on that too um, and talk about it and just be able yeah, to yeah that that uh, that you know in the we are not actually clued in <laughs> because what can you be clued in to it's the context is changing yeah. all the time right so there has to be a yeah and kind of how clued in kids are these yeah, days and yeah. how so like this, about discovery yeah. no in the end yeah. that you know like sometimes they are the ones telling you exactly. some stuff <laughs> yeah i think we spend most of our time my husband and i uh, apologizing to ishan singh i'm really sorry you're so unhinged we've <laughs> taken a break and thought about it and i always tell people that you know some with my daughter because he's closer uh, in age to her he'll be the one who you know takes me to the side and calms me down and said that you know she just needs this right now <laughs> so step away and like the best parenting advice for a 3 year old comes from a 9 year old who's had the lived experience and knows what it's been like and knows what's going on in her head so that's so lovely to just like take that on board and be like yeah you're right you know because i remember that we find it so hard because there are those hierarchies and structures you know that i didn't talk back to my mother and then he was like really you t- you talk back to her all the time <laughs> like you talked back to her yesterday i was like yeah you're right yeah. let me not go there so yeah i think children are so observant and how they take you know they'll see the nuances of relationships that we think that we're hiding and they know exactly what kind of relationship you have with your mother and they know exactly like what the relationship their fathers have with you know their mothers and what those and it's always very interesting to get those perspectives but uh, in terms of your experience with your son moving away and and then you know now they come back when they're older and then they see all this you know the community of uh, there's a lot of female allyship and and they will obviously go grow 
very comfort i'm sure he's very comfortable with having a whole lot of women strong oh, women who and imran's friends are always like he's always surrounded by a lot of girls yeah. not that he doesn't have like right. he has a lot of men friends also but a lot of girls always huh through school and also yeah. i remember once asking one of his these girls i said like what is it how is it that y'all are always like you know with imran like so many girls are with imran so she said no auntie you know the thing is he listens to us ah. <laughs> so i thought okay if i've done one thing right <laughs> maybe that that so he's had this mother who's been like talking all the time so he's trained to listen perhaps yeah so i think that one of the things which i think is really nice um like i feel happy that he has is this idea of you know being able to choose his people you know um i do think that you know he struggled a little bit in uh, uh, school with you know there, there was bullying little uh, there were few incidents and all all of that um but he had a good bunch of friends throughout but it's not like he didn't struggle with it you know like when he went away for high school he went to um, one of the uwcs he went to uh, a place called dilijan in armenia and it was like he sort of in found his people in a kind of like large sense you know so he'd always had good friends yeah. here but that like a feeling of community i think he found that he felt it what it is based on and all i mean you know one can sort of dissect that and see you know there might be like things that one perhaps you know like one could critique some of that i think but he felt the sense of that some of it came also from the fact that you know we had separated and it was this thing that you know in some ways he was also getting away from like right. this messiness yeah, just being stuck you know in the middle yeah, yeah yeah that messiness of it he was going away from that but it was also this you know there were kids from many different parts of the world from very different kinds of backgrounds so it was very very mixed and he li- he responds to that mm-hmm. i think that mixedness yeah. that comes i think also from his own of uh, course, his heritage yeah. and, and and childhood but also a kind of exposure to yeah. that and uh, because also he had seen always in our home that you know friends as family type of thing so i remember in his very first year in in one of those moments where we were having a slight like argument and all that and he said you know my friends are my family so i was like yeah where do you think you got that idea from <laughs> you know this he has kind of really uh, been able to forge that to make relationships that he maintains that he now you know after school they all went away to different different colleges different parts of the world but he maintains those you know kind of relationships I, and he he tells me that it is different in his generation for boys and that uh, ability to kind of speak about feelings you know like men of earlier generations are not able to yeah. do that according to imran his generation is different and i really hope that is true i certainly find it in him that he is much more expressive mm. you know like even now he's 22 and my mother like even she says i really miss imran because uh, you know he's the one fellow who'll come and he'll just like hug her and kiss her in this like you know 20 kisses yeah. all in one go um which is not so easy yeah. even for my nephew who yeah. is like 9 years older than him you know that so hopefully that has shifted maybe in a generation you know, so you've raised a feminist without actually 
setting out to do that like consciously no, I, I mean I would have wanted him to be a feminist for sure no, in a like, conscious in, way but but was that what you know but it comes you? no it comes from like just uh, me wanting to be who I yeah, am yeah. and wanting to live life the yeah. way that I want to his father wanting to live life the way that he wants to so it's like the mix of yeah. all of those things you know yeah. and I think that if if you are surrounded by people who are trying to be who they want yeah. to be then feminism has to be part of that yeah. no like it is about sort of being your own person yeah. and you know um, asking for equality yeah. and and I, i think because i see that with my son also that they are very astute in how they observe friendships and the dynamics of it and he knows that like men's friendships are different in terms of the kind of conversations and the depth of it and sometimes he says that you know may not have like a lot of friends it won't may not be this large circle but it's the small circle of friends who know like every detail of your life and you're not really keeping anything from them and it's a very you know kind of lay it all bare and just be you know vulnerable and and if a 9 year old is picking up on that i'm sure like a 22 year old who's lived with that and grown up in it is so aware of just having that space and the value of it and i think like our dads didn't really t- talk about feelings and stuff and i remember ishan always being able to tell us the exact emotion like why are you screaming i'm angry why are you screaming and it was we we always went through that that name it and talk about it and don't keep it and i think like when kids are brought up like that they are able to deal with a, a whole lot more later and if you don't hide facets of who you are even the troubled bits even the dysregulation that comes along with just everyday life and like while you protect them and shield them from the really crazy stuff just because as a responsible parent you're not going to be completely unhindered and be like you know we'll sub- subject you to mental torture or something like that but there is a level of honesty in the process and it's like you are all part of a family and if there is an experience where there is parting of ways and that establishment of single parenthood on both sides and it has to be a conversation that's done that's done together and not left to a child to no and often yeah. um, my son thinks that he is the wisest of, of the course, yeah. lot perhaps yeah. he is but uh, yeah this this is uh, it is also about just like observing how you can learn also from children no yeah like um sometimes the simple response holds a lot of meaning that we kind of like you know try to kind of yes dissect into many yeah. many things but sometimes it's just a kind of just a, the simplicity of a particular response and that is uh, really really meaningful you know so i feel that you know for imran that um seeing uh, you know like long friendships mm. you know the value of that uh, it's not like it's not something that you talk about but you are living it so you know that okay 
you know, on birthdays and or just staying in touch. Like in, they're in different cities. Some of my closest friends are in another city. But, you know, the doing the holiday, like the summer holiday and taking time out and going, you know, the way that we used to when we were kids go to grandparents' homes and all that, you know, that, that kind of thing. So the value of long relationships. And the and effort that's that, required. That it takes, yeah. And that just being around when people are like talking about feeling and 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 that is really hard for boys to grow up without you know as it is they are sort of the whole um, structure of masculinity is such that you know it is kind of asking of them not to speak about feelings so I think that's something that perhaps you know of uh, parents who are bringing up boys I think maybe we need to be a little more conscious about um, but again I would say that be conscious about means that you know like how do we do it in our own life mm. to just open that possibility out you know rather than it just be a theoretical thing yes. no it's not a th- that you yeah. don't really can't learn that from yeah. theory no yeah and there don't there are no parenting books there's no guide to how you <laughs> done talk, this yeah. yeah or how to talk to your kids or any and even after that there are struggles <laughs> my god of course yeah. <laughs> it's as in any kind of like relationship has you he know? watched any of your work and mean like, oh, yes. you know, you're not, you know, called you out or anything on... He's anything. always calling me out. <laughs> Imran, if you're listening to this, see, I'm admitting it. He's always calling me out. But no, he has watched, like House on Gulmore yeah. Avenue. He's uh, watched it. He's shown it to his friends. He's really yeah. little in that, no? He was, uh, so I shot it in 2004. So he's like about three. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, no, he does that. He's um, read my book. So often, uh, also when he was younger, he would be like the first one I would read Mm. the book out, the story out to and all that. Because, you know, he was captive and I could like, or, you know, in my teaching, so the kind of like workshops that I do. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I would think of like, you know, I want to try this exercise and all that. And I would. He would be the murga. I would yeah. try it on him and say, Iman, so this is the thing. Just sit down for 10 minutes and, you know, I yeah. want to just try this out and, you know, see how it works. So he definitely um, has engaged with it. I do think that he wants to be in the creative arts in oh, some God. way and all that. So I think he's very now conscious that he has to like you know forge his own way of doing things he uh, his own voice is important to him so now i feel that uh, he wants to be a little bit away from what i do so that you know even unconsciously he doesn't want it to kind of uh, be absorbed by okay. He's very like that is something that I think is going on at the moment. <laughs> ah, so that's what that's what happens when I suppose with like young young adults, it's that uh, forging their own yeah. way and that that identity has to be separate from those of your parents, and especially I think more so with children from parents who are in the creative field. Yeah. So my, his father is an artist, okay, and I'm a filmmaker. So he would and uh, when he was early. He, he sketches and all even now a little bit but he was pretty good at art and all that but it will always be that he has, it has to be different you know and I remember somebody asking what he wanted to be and he said I want to be a filmmaker but not like Amma <laughs> <laughs> another kind <laughs> 
so that idea of himself i think um and that you know in some ways that is also it's a lifelong thing no for us also like every project that i do it clarifies something more to me about myself my practice every time so it's a never ending thing in that sense but for him now i can see this is a important thing that it should be distinct from his parents i have one because i know that you know our families bring with them a lot of privilege and that's not the reality of the india that we live in is the reality of privilege something that he owns that he knows and how does he deal with yeah. that because a lot of your films and your work are about you know the realities of india that you have seen and it has been your like through your travels and all of that and and your writing you don't write of privilege or any it's not that experience so even for readers or people who watch your films or any of it you will get that that it is not f- coming from that privilege point of view it's coming from the actual experience of going and seeing classrooms and what it's like and being with like the kids of say natwar parek where you know where it's that the everyday struggle is for the basic minimum and how does how does he deal with knowing and yet that comes with a responsibility that maybe he'll realize later uh, in life through whatever his pursuits end up being but do you ever talk about that so uh, you know this idea of privilege in india i mean particularly the kind of work that i do it's something that we have to interrogate all of the time that you know how who's on from where am i telling this story yes. you know what is the position that i come to uh, this particular story too um and it's something you know that uh, it's always been something that i've had to kind of ask myself and uh, there's always an imperfect answer i think but uh, i have recently sort of like done some reading and all which has really helped me to kind of like clarify this uh, for myself and which uh, is this idea of how you know that our positionality is not a fixed thing in the same way as identities are so complex that the place that we tell these stories from is also like a flexible dynamic uh moving thing and that we may find uh our life experience intersecting with the uh, experience of a person whose story we are telling at a particular point and then in another story at another particular point so this question of um that uh, recently at uh, at the festival actually somebody uh, anushka had spoken about this that jacqueline woodson has written, spoken about this about uh, you know uh, where is your seat at the table mm. yeah so like really where are we um where are we looking at from like and what is that point of intersection like how do we come to this table that the same table of yes. this story and that i think is something that i have like been always a little bit aware about and conscious about and um because i uh, you know he's been sort of exposed to the kind of work that i do um i've 
like always like an, uh, wherever possible he has also come along so mm. you know he has come with me to some village mm. um when he was a child uh, i have spoken to him about what i'm doing he has seen the stuff that i've been working on uh when we have traveled just like to travel but even in those journeys you know thinking about like and i don't mean this in this very like you know self conscious way but it like if it is it's part of your life that uh question if it accompanies you all the time then it will be something that the child will also see you trying to answer for yourself yeah. and that will also come up in the common shared mm-hmm. space no mm-hmm. so in that kind of way i think um he has always been aware of of uh privilege um having said that because both kunal and i chose these kinds of like work that we do um you know our existence has always been very financially precarious and things so he has also seen that you know i mean there's no question that we are not privileged and yet we have struggled for yeah. these sorts of things and i think that that's been actually very good for him because that's what spurred him to kind of like look for the scholarships mm. and to uh want the big things um because i i i never kind of because i thought oh i don't have that kind of money i cannot send him here and there because of that i never stopped him from thinking about it yeah. and i said yeah see and if you can do it if you find a scholarship you yeah. can do it that's great yeah. you know uh and i think that pushed him to do that so he's had a little bit of both of those mm-hmm. things but of course like he's very very aware of like having the privilege what he makes of it we have to wait and see <laughs> yeah in india that's a very like you know it's a complicated thing no like the you someone like me has so much like cultural capital in that sense yet the kind of work that i do i'm constantly like struggling thinking okay now what's the next project yeah. where am i going to get that from you know um, yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely you know rent has to be paid yeah. or so those things are also real yeah. you know um the two kind of go hand in hand in a kind of curious way mm. which absolutely does not take the privilege away mm. i mean the fact that i can choose to do the kind of work that i do also comes from my privilege and i'm very very aware of that you know that i'm able to make these choices yeah. i i'm very aware of that because i said you know doing this podcast and i'm like oh you know i want to do this for my child and this for my child and then there is that realization that everyone can't do that because we are a single in- income household but we're okay and it works and it was a decision we made but maybe another person even if they wanted to cannot make those yeah. decisions cannot have they can't just pull their kid out of school and say that okay i'm going to homeschool and i'm going to do this and i'm going to realize all those you know all the potential in my child and do it and I think that's something that all parents have to deal with whatever is their live that reality that they are going through every day. I think those are the the challenges and that's what differentiates all our experiences. No, and, and you know like if people turn around could turn around and say that you know why don't you put your child in a government school yeah. for example. Yeah. And we don't those are the 
those are the uh, complicated yeah. and <laughs> difficult choices like for us we don't do that those are our middle class expectations our middle class existences and i don't know if we can you know that uh, so it's always going to be imperfect no we are always going to muddle and there's always going to be something like i i know of uh, i know of somebody who's from an earlier generation whose parents put them in the government school system mm-hmm. though they could have afforded right. to like yeah. do it it was a choice it was a political choice and uh, then the child grows up and has other problems no like feels resentful that yeah. this choice was made on their behalf and so i'm saying in that sense it's imperfect mm. in many ways and we are going to muddle through yeah. it but i think we have to have an awareness and we have to ask ourselves the question and try to be as honest as we can yeah. say and say that i'm scared to make that choice and i can't push myself beyond this you know and i that i i recognize that i'm i'm privileged that oh. i don't have to also push myself yeah. beyond this yeah. i think an interesting thing that coming out of that is that when do our kids get that seat at the table of that decision making table we're making decisions for their lives and when is it that we feel comfortable and they feel comfortable to actually get that seat of, at the table and you kind of alluded to it while you were saying that you know you said that if you want to go abroad you figure out the scholarship that you need to do this and so that you know that's giving his agency as you know a young person going like okay fine this is on me and i'm going to push this so so even though you may not have done that as giving him that seed and you know you do it for yourself but it happened kind of organically like he is trusting his own agency to do something for himself and therefore has got a seat at the table or at that decision making table and he moves from the hierarchy shifts and becomes a little bit more yeah equal, yeah no he yeah he is definitely now i think he's taking charge he's of his life yeah. you know yeah. and and as parents that's what yeah. that's the ultimate goal no yeah. that that you are always there so even when he got the first scholarship for school it was not 100% yeah. right but it was like some 80 90% yeah. so there was a certain amount yeah. that um i had to take care of and but i feel that that's my role as a parent yeah. like i can't then turn around and say okay okay you have not got 100% so, so you i'm not yeah, yeah yeah for me that was that was my role that yeah. okay you've you've done this yeah. which is huge so yeah. this little bit and i recognize i'm able to do that because mm. i'm in a privileged position yeah. you know for someone else even that would not have been possible but i yeah. could do that yeah. so um now he's taken charge of yeah. his life <laughs> <laughs> now it's like like yeah, if, if we want you at the table we'll tell you you get a memo <laughs> was there the the information overload and social media and all of that because that, that's particularly something that you know we've talked about and like we should get an older mum and ask you know so i uh, imran didn't get on to social media till facebook ka age tha 13 hmm. so i said 13 so i remember his 13th birthday that was like no nah, i'm opening the account oh, that yeah. very day and all that because his uh, you know many many of his friends from school already had uh, facebook accounts because you know they had fudged the age and all that but i was like no you're not going to do that and it's okay you will come to it it's not so far and whatever once 
that happened then we went through those years where it was like you know get off the screen oh, too much screen yeah. all those conflicts mm-hmm. we really did have but uh, quite soon one realized like schools were asking them to do projects which required yeah. that yeah. you know so there was this need also to be online and do things um and i i really feel that also it's something <laughs> I think it's really important that children are outdoors and do things um other than the screen but I think you know we can't also be like have blinkers on about it yeah. because this is like look at our lives yeah. you know so this is their reality they have to do do this so um I think that what I was just like hopeful for and I used to sort of maybe try to like push a little bit in that direction but more or less he did that on his own so that do interesting things mm. with it so you know um, he and a friend of his they started some like they would they were they were into this whole superhero movies mm-hmm. which i really I even now can't watch with him um but uh, except for a few select mm. ones but um they started this like youtube channel and they used to shoot videos you know and edit them and put those out so those kinds of things which are you know you're using technology in an active way it's not just as a passive recipient of just watching 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 you know um i feel that that's like technology is here to like technology has always been here actually in different yeah, forms but this this uh, sort of uh, presence you know uh, it is that like how are we working with it you know and thinking about that uh, i remember when he started playing video games and all that i don't know how i had learned about some uh, uh, particular games in which you know uh, i read about it something and that you know you it was slightly more like pushing you to think and create something mm. and all that so i told him why don't you see this game i remember that and i i have no memory of what that game was also now so those sorts of things i think i tried yeah. I don't know if I was very successful context. frankly you know in the end it is we had all those like yeah. it's too much and put it away now and you know then then he got a phone later yeah. and uh, so I'm glad those years are <laughs> over because now now also I think it's like yeah. too much yeah. um but really you know he's it's his joy all, all i can say is you know it's his joys you know yeah. it, i i used to say this that imran you know it's like your brain is still forming and you know you got to do many things and your brain needs oxygen and go out <laughs> and you know you do all that but i'm not sure how much they receive you know but you can only do your best yes so now i'd like to like focus more on the work that you've done and uh, last night i was watching the happiness class just so that i could get a sense of the work that you've done more recently and uh, i think you know the hum hindustani podcast and that that work also ties very well into not directly but some of what was shown in uh, the happiness class as well and something that really stuck out was they talk about this happiness class and there's this one point in the film when they talk about how the class is segregated between nishtha, nishtha and pratibha and i had no idea about this and you know like everyone hears these fabulous things about you know the delhi government and what they're doing with schools but i found that like 
to be like oh my god this is dps and the blue and red co- the blue coats and the green coats all over again and like what is this saying and what is this saying to the kids and it was very palpable because the faces of the children they were not saying anything but they they said ha like one of them says that ha theek hai we it's all right because then it just spurs us on to try harder and do better i thought that no, he doesn't that... say that actually says sir kehte hain ha sir kehte hain sir kehte hain ki phir tum acha karoge aur tum bhi phir you know i don't think many people know that this even happens in in delhi government schools that there are two separate curriculums is it it's like the curriculum is halved i okay. think like they, right. they sort of do much less right so does that help the situation the does, segregation yeah. i don't uh, think so um as you saw in the film like those children the sense of being different is so sharp yeah. now you know we've been talking about difference earlier as well and saying that you know we have to like talk about difference yeah. we have to accept difference yeah. sometimes we have to celebrate difference but i think uh this is not that yes. different that kind of difference yeah. no so uh we have to also look at difference in a contextual way what is it yeah. that we are celebrating yeah. what is it that we are recognizing yeah. you know and i think that in class 6 and 7 to make those uh, separations and this happens are, at the yeah, primary after is, the primary yeah level. so i think they've changed the uh, i think it earlier it was till class 8 but now i think it's till 6 or 7 mm-hmm. something like that I think it's too too soon mm. uh to do that because basically then you are kind of boxing them in and labeling them as you know that they are not so smart in yeah. that's the bottom line and that's not true because you're still forming children's yeah. brains forming yeah. at that age <laughs> so I feel that uh, yeah this is I mean uh that was the dichotomy for me that you know that this idea of the happiness mm. curriculum comes from wanting to reduce stress wanting to create um a, a space where children can build their inner resources and then it is coming along with something which runs absolutely yeah. counter to that so that That's dichotomy really, yeah. is like something i couldn't make sense mm. of and that's why it is in the film also mm. presented like we can't make sense mm. of this you know mm. so there are things that the children say about happiness class which they enjoy and i felt it's really important that we give that voice and make place for the fact that okay this is something that works for them to this extent but i couldn't make sense of this and so it's presented like okay but on the other hand yeah. you're also doing this and on the other hand you know that pressure of exams and competition and this and that has not gone right so like it, it's it's something i mean i what i wanted was the film i don't think the film is making a pronouncement mm. but the film is asking us to think about this that how do we work with this context you know in the end uh, i think the intentions that we come to uh children with may be noble yeah but how does it unfold in practice mm. that if we stop reflecting on that if we stop asking questions about then it doesn't matter if our intentions are noble because we are not going to realize them no yeah. now we may not actually know but we have to keep asking that question 
And uh, you know the segregation thing. So, uh, you know, the, the, there's this term scaffolding, right? Mm -hmm. And in a mixed classroom also, you are supposed to be able to scaffold yeah. for children in different ways so maybe the thing the answer is that you know in a classroom of 40 children or 35 children you have to have like two teachers yes. maybe that's the answer which means you have to hire more teachers which means you have to put more money into the education system and which means maybe you have to take it away from something else are you willing to make that choice you can only come to that if you ask these questions no that is there another way yeah but I don't know if we are asking. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you see while you've done the whole podcast thing and traveling with it and doing... Because it's not only Delhi. It's like various... Uh, the the, the Hamindustani project. So the Hamindustani project was um, uh, uh, with children. So it started, you know, uh, in 2019-20 when all the CA, anti-CA yeah, yeah, protests yeah. were going on. Uh, Studio Sabdar had asked me to come to their Sunday library and do something with the kids. So I decided that instead of reading one of my stories, that I because all this was going on, I thought, let's do something that we can kind of make sense of what's going on and see how children are receiving all this. So I decided to do is one exercise, which is actually um, episode two of the podcast is um, the same exercise, which I did later in the Hamindustani project. Um, this very simple thing of like writing a five line poem with each line starting with because, kyunki, um, and drawing from everyday life so what so i we spoke about like how do we know that we are indian so we know from our name we know from the language we know from the food we know from all of these things of everyday life right and then the children wrote these poems so when i did and then after i i, I did it at studio Savdar and then because the responses were so rich i thought it would be so exciting to have like children from different parts of the country, you know, right? They just do the same exercise. And we would really, like this diversity that we keep talking about this term, like yeah. we could actually just, it would there would be like an envisioning of that without talking about it as diversity, you know? Um, so I've worked with a few libraries online because the pandemic started. And so we had some stuff from Maharashtra. Um, we had from TCLP also here. So, you know, we got a few uh, responses. And then when the TESF, um, which is Transforming Education for Sustainable Futures, they put out this call for projects, um, that actually made me start to think that maybe I could do something which was bigger. Mm. And I thought of the project. And the project was that I would work with a small group of children in three sites. And I picked Shahinbagh because I'd been going there and all this stuff had happened. I picked... Um, I, I thought I'd do because the farmers' protest was still going on, and I thought I would do it there, at uh, you know, at the border and in those settlements that had come up. Uh, but by the time the project came through, they had gone back. So then I went into the villages in Firozpur district, and the third was uh, this library in Bombay, which caters mainly to uh, Muslim and Dalit children. So in my group, because Shahinbagh already had Muslim children, and that you know presence of that kind of um, identity yeah. which 
yeah, the is, narratives were is, similar so uh, what i chose then was i asked the library that could we work with largely dalit okay, children so that we could yeah. get a cross section yeah. so um so that's what we did that, so the podcast is a kind of curation of poetry that came out of that and the artwork is all on the website uh, so the everything on the website is free for use uh, the website is hum-hindustani.in yes, we will link so, everything yeah, in the so show notes there are things that you know people can just use and you can see that some of the episodes in the podcast talk about this that sometimes the experiences across all of these spaces are similar and sometimes they're very particular and what is it that we can learn from that no and that is in the sense like what it means to be human no that some things are very different and then yet at the heart of it some things remain the same yeah. and at the core that's what it means to be human is that we are connected with those by those commonalities and we have many things which are different that we need to kind of recognize because they impact our individual lives you know and also collective lives how did you see like the narrative be different say from doing things with like older children like what was the age group that I worked, you worked with, with so i wanted to work with middle school children okay. because you know <laughs> um, the middle school curriculum is uh, the one that talks about you know citizenship um the you know this uh, starting to learn the learn constitution and, like that, and yeah. you know all of that so i wanted to work with uh, middle school kids to see that what the school curriculum brings mm. and what the everyday life brings and uh, where are the intersections where are the dissonances how long was this project and so the project was a year long okay. uh, so it was kind of time bound so mm-hmm. it and because there are many stages in it okay. and all that so it ended up meaning that you know like in each space i could work with kids so i i had a, wanted to do like structured kind of workshops in the three spaces so there would be like maybe three days in each space plus i would do interviews with a few uh children because i couldn't do all given the constraints of the project but as it turned out you know every site kind of took on a slightly different um way of working so because the children had gone back from the farmers protest like families had gone back uh and i was going into the villages and the villages were all very scattered so i couldn't bring all the kids together and logistically it was difficult for me to do that and do like a workshop like that so i reversed the thing and i did interviews with all the kids first and uh, then based on that i did some like over the phone and because okay. you know like in many different ways yeah. uh, with the library i did some workshop like a in person workshop but then i also with a few kids that i saw uh, you know responding more i did some zoom sessions yeah. later so it worked like it was a mix of many things which i've written about actually in uh, there have been some so part of the project was that outcomes were that i would also write uh, a couple of essays so there's some writing which is also on the website and in the report yeah. and all that we link all of that yeah now one thing that i wanted to explore with you is the whole concept of creating these emotionally safe spaces for how does one go about actually creating those spaces where children feel comfortable enough to share those you know those experiences that may may not have been 
very comfortable or good for them and how do you cut beyond the hello ma'am and we'll be smiling and you know yeah. that the superficiality of the first experience so you know uh, because i'm not a like i don't have a background in psychology and all that so i'll speak from like really just my practice and how it's kind of evolved in this way in a kind of uh, perhaps instinctive way and it has kind of like developed over the thing so i think the first thing is to uh, actually really be interested in the children and they'll know that right. when you are truly interested and when you're just asking questions for form's sake you know and uh, to be like to treat them with respect and honesty to say like to share everything that you know of how the process can be to set that out uh, and to keep reiterating to them that um you know that they sh- can share as much as they want to so like for me everyday life is a very like big part of my work right mm-hmm. so i'm constantly talking to kids about like their everyday life and i remember many years ago you know i have this book called my sweet home which came out of kids in uh, okla after the butler house encounter and i remember in that workshop i would say you know so uh, we would be they would be right the exercises would be about you know going to school like the journey to school or things that you like to eat or you know clothes you want to buy those kind of things and i would say but you know apne bare mein apni zindagi mein dekh ke mujhe batao and then i one child said to me that hamari zindagi like you know what's so special about hamari zindagi and it's that that to be able to like just convey to the uh, children that you know the why are we talking about everyday life and uh, speaking about that sometimes you are not able to like these are like they're left their ideas which are there but you know they're not tied up all neatly they're just left there and you know so very often i will speak about it in this way that like i think that in everyday life and our everyday experiences you know we can see things and these are the kinds of meanings that i can get out of it and that's why i'm doing it with you you know so to be as honest as you can be in that a uh, moment and to kind of like uh, allow them to see the context the way it is um that while i am the one in a kind of position of power and i'm setting the kind of framework for every exercise for that workshop i'm also open to listening to what they might want to say and do and that if they don't want to do something i'm not forcing it you know uh, i'm willing to kind of say does this work for you should we try to change it you know like and sometimes they'll say no because maybe they're not thinking about it or maybe they are okay with the exercise but i think it's important to like say it so that they feel if that the possibility of saying no is there you know often children and particularly the children i worked with because they go to the kinds of schools that they do and all that they f- don't feel that they can say no so maybe they are saying yes to me also coming out of that uh, context but still i'll say it you know i'll say that are you okay do you think you want to do this like you know to make it a little bit more um it's not like the power is equal but still that they do have agency um in that process you know so that's i think uh, one thing and i feel that they get a sense of that that it's a it, that it is a safe space to talk like you know one when you share some stuff of 
Like what has made you interested in talking to them and, you know, what has brought you here? They get a sense of it. So like in Shaheenbagh, in, in the Hamindustani project, one of the artworks uh, that uh, is there on freedom is, so, you know, I had this like one exercise and there are stages in it, which I won't go into now, but it's there. Um and this girl, uh, she was in class eight um, and she came from a kind of like her father was running a business and, you know, like a middle class home uh, studying in a school, public school, like a private school. In, uh, in she would go across to Noida and uh, she said to me uh, that she in her the line that she wrote was, I want freedom to burst like a balloon when friends say racist things. So I said, uh, so we spoke about that. So I said, like, what do you mean racist and all that? So then it came out, the same usual story of bullying as a Muslim child. And then she said when the uh, protest started because she lived this side and all that, she said it was very hard and they like would constantly be bullying her. So I said, did you speak to the teachers? So she said, no, what is the point in going? It would have become harder. They would have known. And... Um, because of, you know, the kind of home she came from and all that, she didn't actually even speak to anybody at home. But she, when she got this chance, suddenly it came out. And uh, I, uh, to me, I felt that that, you know, that shows you that possibility that lies in art and just allowing for expression, you know. It has such power because that, there is no... She had not <laughs> been able to speak for like, yeah. you know, over a year. But then it came out. Like after your workshops, have you ever spoken to like parents and sta other stakeholders within the community and things post your from sessions? From Shahinbagh? No, no, no. Oh, just generally? Yeah, from after your sessions yeah. with these kids and things like so, that. So, um, I mean, with Hamind, I haven't been, uh, I think I went to Shikshantar last year and the project had kind of like, you know, there was, I was in the process of writing it up and things. So I did speak about that. Uh, and I did get like, there. Were, it was a mixed group and there were many parents who were appreciative. But I do remember one parent saying that, but you know, uh, do we have to take our children to these things? How much do we expose our kids to? And that's a question that comes up quite often, you know. Um, I mean, I haven't had a chance to like really talk to lots of different parent groups after Hamindustani. But, you know, this is a kind of running thread in my work also. So it has come up earlier as well. And I remember in this uh, in this uh, school and this parent asking me this and I said, like, I think context is really important. You know, like she said, can't we just talk to kids about that? You know, you should not discriminate and you should treat people well, and we want those values in our children, do we have to give them this information, the context? And I said, and that's something that I believe, that context is everything. That otherwise, we are talking about these in these big ideas, in these abstract ways, without translating what it means in everyday life. And children are actually making meaning through everyday life. So, to me, uh, widening the context of everyday life is everything. I think that's so important when you talk about even parenthood. And because everything is for children that the lived experience of their everyday. And it is the context of their families and all of that. And, and then you go back to taking 
your work and then looking at how it mirrors your life and the experiences that you have had maybe as a child maybe as a person who's grown up in a situation where you lived in a part of town that was called little. privileged yeah and then afterwards i moved from mm-hmm. that privileged part to mini pakistan to mini pakistan and how so much of that has gone into who you have become and that and the fact that you cannot live in a bubble for the rest of your life and how do you navigate that as a mother no i don't feel like i have to be something else as a mother and something else in my work no in fact it's all like kind of crisscrossing overlapping mm-hmm. lives that's never been mm-hmm. and i think that's also because of the kind of like other life choices that i've had and made and uh, uh that's never been and you know there have always been like you know my friends many of my friends are uh, in different ways but engaged with uh, the arts no and so grappling with the same questions but like from different positions coming to it in different ways and um that also keeps me like i don't have a dearth of people telling me like okay now shut up samina you're being self indulgent you know <laughs> so uh, that uh, and i really value that you know like uh, um so i don't think that like like for me that com- my work has always been about that know that we are our identities are so many things right so it's not like these compartments and i think that is what i have uh, tried to live also mm-hmm. not just i don't think i've tried in a conscious way that is what i've lived yeah. it is of course it throws up like questions and challenges and sometimes yeah. i don't maybe respond to it uh, yeah. in the and right way been, like put together and yeah. the right no not at all uh, so that has been there but i don't think that i like i have not felt this tension that mm-hmm. you know because i'm a mother i have to be this mm. and i can't be that and you know that's for my like workspace and because it's been very overlapping have you ever felt guilty i felt very guilty when i've done bad things as a mom and shouted then okay. <laughs> done <laughs> of course i felt that but you know because uh, so this is the thing that i don't think imran and i yet agree fully on but i think he will come around to it <laughs> when he becomes a parent is this idea of context no like i'm saying context is everything to yeah. me i think that and particularly for women you know like the pressures that we feel and how they often translate into um our relationships mm. and our relationships with our children you know like we may not be proud of those actions that we've done but you know recognizing that the context that they came out of it recognizing that we are not proud of it those things you know those uh, uncomfortable mm. things instead of trying to justify i don't i don't think that i think that that's the difference that um we make we make choices sometimes we act in ways that we are not proud of but i think we don't have to get defensive and try and mm. justify them but we have to recognize that this is the context and that kind of influenced those actions and uh, perhaps we would you know if we had a different context we would have made choices which were maybe uh, something that we would hold closer to 
the way we see ourselves. So, how do you encourage? How do you raise readers? How do you encourage? First like, of all, I think we have to not fetishize reading. That's the first <laughs> thing. Because, you know, we hear this all the time, you know, and we are asked this at every festival and every school interaction, you know. So, I think firstly, we have to not fetishize the act of reading. It's not about the books, but actually, yeah. reading is, is a verb, it's a yes. it's an act of thinking, you know, like the book becomes a, a a way, a conduit for thinking, for allowing you to think. Yeah. Right? I think it's also I think it comes a lot from the kind of word the, our reality now of screens and every book has a movie and you know that kind of yeah. our children being bombarded with the coco melons of the world and so that is not, so that's not necessarily about the book you know no, because absolutely huh. all i meant the like how do you get your kids to i have kids who your live, kid is a yeah, super like, reader he he really is but but that came from seeing his parents read all the exactly. time exactly and if your parents aren't readers, but you want to give that to your child because you see value in it. And maybe you're not sitting with your bo with books all the time or, you know, you don't have the time for it because I know it takes, you have to chalk out parts of your life to, you know, give a book and to do justice and to really be a reader. But how do parents actually, who may not read themselves? Again, it's a thing of privilege that, oh yeah, you guys can find the time. My husband told one person that I read at traffic lights. You know, I, I'm so obsessed that I have to get my X amount of pages done in a day as a goal, but not everybody will be that. But it's very important for children to at least access books as an option so i think reading has to be for pleasure yeah yeah how do you get to that point? that so first of all it, you have to stop turning it into a chore you yeah. know that's yeah. the most important thing that it has to come like as something that you have to make time for yes you know like it has to be that the child is saying please can i get 10 minutes more mm. of before the lights go yeah off. Right? Yeah. That'll only come if there are exciting stories mm -hmm. that the children have uh, access to, that they are able to choose for themselves what they want to read. Uh, of course, seeing people around you having like drawing that pleasure that I mean, that's what we, we pass on to children uh, things that they see us doing because they can see we are enjoying it. So we think, OK. Maybe that's something pleasurable, right? When I say we have to not fetishize reading, I mean that, you know, also there are things children read in different ways. So even if they're reading something online, mm. they are reading an image. This is all, these are all forms of reading, mm. right? So I think that this, like, let us sit down with our books and read. I think that should never mm. be done. <laughs> I feel it should come as I think the shared time if you if you start early with mm. kids and you are uh, you know like that shared reading time and reading the book together mm. that then becomes that act becomes pleasurable because you associate it with good things you associate it with warmth and the presence of you know a loved you person so, you you associate it for, with comfort with comfort and also then the stuff that the stories unfold no adventure and wonder and and mystery and all that then it will become a pleasurable thing 
you know mm. but i think that we have to also accept that you know it will like i i i've been a reader on my life but i know that these days i read much less than i used to uh, in the form of the book i'm reading all the time i'm reading a lot of stuff online but i'm not reading as much in the form of the book that's also my context and which doesn't mean i'm not thinking mm. that reading enables me to think that reading enables me to um uh, see to try and open a window to worlds that i don't know yes but you do that both as a writer and as a filmmaker yeah so that, that's for me it, yeah yeah so, that's such a privilege it's to a, do to do both because yeah i feel that yeah i'm in the act of making films and also in the act of writing stories but i think even as readers and watchers we do that no we can do that maybe it it's just about getting children to appreciate richness in just just the stories being told regardless of form like what is your thought of i think children audio books yeah. and things like that yeah i feel let there be a whole plethora of things you know it should be like they we should not be um, you know particular about that mm. i am not at all in favor of that our audio book uh, oral storytelling like whatever form mm. i think works for and for different children it will work in different ways mm. but i think the most important thing is to be able to like you read something that excites you and you want to share that with mm. somebody whether that's a grown up or a child you will convey some of your excitement and maybe that will translate that's all you can do um also i will i will say one other thing that when we say reading for pleasure you know um the child's agency is a very big part of it right the child should be allowed to choose and there should be exciting stories available that the child can choose from but also i think that it's okay for us to sort of um offer the child things that we think we would love for them to read mm. they may reject it in the first instance which also is i think okay and that is making place for the child's agency but i think that um there is something to be said for the grown up to say hey look this is something that i really really would love you to read and i hope you'll give it a chance yeah you know uh, i think that both things are important there's this uh, scholar of children's literature who has written about what she, and she calls this sort of like you know some of the kind of like jamlo i think definitely fits into that is this uh, what she calls committed literature which is which is telling a story but also there is a kind of there's something that we are hoping that it will allow the child to think about and feel and um, you know she draws this line that between like propaganda and say <laughs> committed literature because uh, she says that that it is about the way the form of the story and the you know uh, how the story is told and not just the content so it's not a flat messaging but it is also about the way one tells these stories which can allow the reader the child reader to form their own meaning and it ca it can be um uh, it's not a passive act it can be something that the child actually makes meaning in a way that maybe you as a adult writer did not think of 
no so that possibility also exists so i think that there should be a diverse like many kinds or like a bouquet like a like a overgrown garden of <laughs> different kinds of uh books in different forms um available for children and sometimes children see a film which takes them to the book mm. sometimes it's the other way around i think it's okay and then the dissemination bit also like what goes into that so you know children's literature is a curious kind of category no because it's written by adults yes and uh, but it is written for child readers so it's a, a category that and in fact there have there has been scholarly work that kind of like completely dismisses it and mm. uh, says that it's it's uh, just adults writing to kind of like assuage their own sense of you know something i disagree with with that because i think that uh, i have read like particularly now i find that uh, children's books have i think brought such a nuanced uh, kind of understanding to the world you know and in the most simple way so i feel that that is extremely valuable in children's literature i think however that it is extremely important to think about uh, how we write it you know and this idea of the the child reader some like this idea of target audience mm. no of course we do keep in mind this child but in the end i think like when i'm writing and i've heard many other writers um, say this that we can only write from the place that we know so either it is that child that we are engaged with we are interacting with that we have witnessed uh, uh, or it is that child that we were that we remember no so we can only write for children that we know and when we write or when we create any kind of work of art we have to be convinced of the thing that we are doing and creating and that is that is the reality that there are enough commonalities between people that there will be other people who will respond the way that you do right that is the way that i think we write we create anything no that you can't only be there are some things that you keep in mind in a kind of broad way that you are sort of maybe adjusting like when you create a reel for social media or you create a documentary mm-hmm. film there's certain difference in form you know like so i'm not discounting that completely but i'm saying at the heart of it when you write for children you are writing for a child that you know sometimes it's the child that you were and sometimes it's a child that you know in your everyday life from your everyday life i think for me it is that i want to be able to tell good stories i do feel that i want to say things about the world but i want them to be like mixed up in the story in such a way that it's not about the message but it's the story that is asking the child that turn the page you know that's what i want to do do i manage it or not that's a question and you know readers will answer that but that's what i strive towards i don't think that uh, it's wrong to want to have say some things about the world because 
that's also what like all the stuff we've been talking about everyday life that's what it is you know it's all everything comes embedded with meaning and we are constantly decoding and encoding those things right so the act of reading is also like that and the act of writing is like that so for me it's like i want to be able to tell a good story tell it in a good way for it to have like you know play with words very often like say when i was writing nida for me it was about like you know this parent child relationship in which the parent is little silly yeah. you know so that the child seems to be in a slightly more stronger position you know uh so that kind of inverting those things like those things are the things that i think um I like to think about yeah. when I'm writing. Now, as we end, off, uh, I'd like to ask you for five books oh, that, that you so love. Hard. Okay, ten. <laughs> you you know, and then we link them yeah. in, in our show notes. Gosh, that's but, so so difficult, you know, because every time somebody asks this like top ten type of things, my mind freezes. <laughs> but okay, I will try. Uh, but the thing is that this is not necessary. You can it never you can list out five. and give me 10 15 and i'll link them so on the show notes let me say that you know there may be things that i'll think of later and say oh shit i never said that you know so uh, it has to be like yes. this is the context in which i'm yeah. saying it is like my brain freezes this is just for, just right for now. now and tomorrow they may yeah. be different so an all time favorite is of course moin and the monster okay i just love that book and another book of anushka which i love 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 is um, today is my day which is like a picture book mm-hmm. so those two i really love and those are anushka those are anushka ravi, ravi shankar's um then uh, siddharth sharma's the year of the weeds mm-hmm. i really love that book then there is this little book by rinchin called i am a cat it's produced by eklavya and it's just about this girl in this basti imagining that she's a cat i love that book for so many reasons I love some of Nandini Nair's uh, work. I've not read anything like recently but her older work um what did you see for example? Oh, I love that yes. book. Um uh oh Charles's Timmy and Tangles. I love that book. Then um let me think. Oh Vinita Coelho's Boy Number 32. Oh, this fabulous! There are two fabulous picture books which you just come which I gave to Ishan also. No, did I give? No, I didn't give him Kanato's book. There's a book by Kanato mm-hmm. called Afo and I, which is set in the northeast. It's just so beautiful yeah. that book. And then Rajiv's book, which I gave uh, Ishan, uh, Hello Sun, yeah. such a lovely book. That's you know, my, such a joyful book. My so Samina to give you some context. Samina gave Ishan uh, these. <laughs> autographed <gasps> copies which my daughter unfortunately says there's Aisha also written oh, she says it. I should she's have done like, that she's like it's written specially for uh, Duga and Hello Sant she's decided that Rajiv has written both names oh. and she says no no my name is also there and uh, you know how books can just be everything to children and my little one who's three Duga and Hello Sun are her world. Like 
the only reason to go to Bangalore is Duga <laughs> and her cousins and Priya and all. Oh, and, and Priya's book, like, Beauty is Missing. Yeah. My God, what a book! <laughs> then uh, this uh, Ekta's the Hindi books. There are the, the, that's a whole other thing. Yes. But Ekta's this um, Dunya Meri by Gulzar mm-hmm. and oh, Alan Shaw. Oh, that's beautiful. And then Sushil's work. My God, Sushil, I'm a big Sushil Trukla fan. for and for everyone listening you must check out all the books by the eclave foundation eclave and ektara ektara yeah. they have wonderful subscriptions yes. that uh, we've been getting for many years and even though my my kids don't really uh, read that much in hindi it's always uh, we've got dedicated dedicated bookshelves but they're absolutely beautiful even varun grover's uh, paper chore and those i have not read there's some really amazing books that ektara has got in their catalog like they're absolutely fantastic not so thank you it's been so lovely so this is coming full circle from our first meeting at absolutely uh, the airport the goa airport this is how this is also really... how how the community also wide yeah and how it's not only writers it's readers and mothers and all you you just have to go and say hi yes <laughs> absolutely shan came and said hi yeah. <laughs> yes i remember i think that's a we love shan yeah thank you thank you so much thank for having for me and uh, for all the support that you've been giving online particularly <laughs> that's our little space so yeah so thank you if you have stories that you'd like to share or conversations that you'd like to start reach out to us we're on instagram at mommy mixtape that's m o m m y m i x t a p e 